You play ball like a girl! Aren't you a girl? Gee, good eye. I'm a girl. That doesn't mean I have to wear a skirt. It's not a girl thing. It's not a boy thing. It's a skills thing. When I first started playing tennis, women weren't really encouraged to play sports, let alone excel in sports. Just want to play ball. Welcome to Ball Like a Girl. And here's your host, Olivia Stacy. Hey, everyone. Welcome into our first official Ball Like a Girl podcast presented by Heavy.com. The day is finally here for our, what I'm calling our first official episode because last week was just a brief introduction to what to expect. Um, But in case you missed that, every Wednesday, we're going to have a conversation with an influential woman in the sports world. And today, we are so thrilled to have Nicole Auerbach as the first guest on our podcast. She's currently a senior writer for The Athletic and a college football analyst on the Big Ten Network. Nicole is an incredible sports journalist who has found so much success early on in her career. I personally have a lot of respect for her work and her approach to sports reporting. I think anyone interested in media can take a page out of her book and find a lot of her insight to be incredibly valuable. Um, But before we get to her interview, to give you a brief background, she's also written for the Boston Globe and became the lead college basketball writer for USA Today in her early 20s. She has clearly an impressive resume, but she's also a really cool person who knows the pulse of the sports world and offers some very interesting insight about the challenges of being a female sports reporter. Here's the interview. Nicole, we're so happy to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so, you know, this is our inaugural episode of Ball Like a Girl. Um, and and I want to start from the beginning with your experience in in sports media and just kind of your background in general. I know you grew up in New Jersey, um, certainly not college football country, <laughs> but <No>. clearly <laughs> college football has become a huge part of your career and life now. So I'm curious to know your journey and and what initially sparked your interest in in sports, in college football, and at what point did you realize, hey, this could be a career? Yeah, well, you know, it is interesting. I mean, I grew up in suburban New Jersey and was super into pro sports, just like everyone I knew. Um, big Yankees fan. My dad, t- my dad had Jet season tickets, um, and I did not watch college football on Saturdays. I remember at one point in my early teens, I was my my aunt and uncle lived in Ann Arbor, which is eventually how I ended up going to Michigan. Um, but I remember watching a game with them and not and literally having to ask the question, which all Michigan Michigan State fans hate is, wait, which one's which? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> is it which one's the state school? Which one's the university of? And and what which, which are the colors? And I I just, you know, I, I have that memory. So I really was not paying attention to That's like a crime college. for a lot of a lot of fans in, in that region, as you know now. <laughs> yes, yes. Um and it's not that hard to keep track, but I was just, you know, so out of that, um, out of that element. And so um, I ended up, I mean, I played sports growing up. I played um, tennis, basketball, softball. Um, and, you know, softball was the one I, I considered you know, playing, um, you know, maybe trying to walk on or, or play D3. Um, I was a fast pitch pitcher and, and I loved it, but then I got burnout. I was playing, you know, travel and school and 
um, on all, on too many teams. And so I was just like, you know, I want to go to college with a, you know, great school spirit, uh, great campus, college experience. And my aunt and uncle convinced me to apply to Michigan, even though it was far from New Jersey and further and bigger than all the other schools I was looking at. And I ended up going out there to visit. There's two feet of snow on the ground. And I'm like, okay, this isn't that bad. Like, it's still really pretty. Everyone's still wearing Michigan hoodies. And also, like, and I was just making a mental checklist. I was like, okay, so all the girls are wearing the same North Face jacket. They're wearing the same <laughs> boots. So if I come here, these are the things I need to do. Like, I made a, I made a list. A packing list. Um, that, that's so a funny. Packing list, a packing <laughs> list in preparation. And so I end up, I end up going to Michigan. And... Um, Right off the bat, you know, I was moving in welcome week freshman year, and I was talking to a girl across the hall who was a sophomore about our dream jobs and things we're studying, and she wanted to be a heart surgeon, very noble, and Mm. I said, you know, I'd love to write for Sports Illustrated. And she said, why don't I connect you to my friend who works for the Michigan Daily? It's, she's a news writer, but the student paper is good here. You should, why don't you just do it? And I had not made the connection that like real people were these people who I was reading in Sports Illustrated every week. Right. And that like you could actually do it, um, or even on a much smaller scale. So I got connected, sent an email and decided I was going to go to the first meeting of the year, which coincidentally was the day after app state beat michigan that was my first college game and it was fascinating i mean i'm watching these guys who you know had worked four years to get to be seniors to cover the football team and scrap everything they were doing to redo and kind of do like what the heck happened um and explain how that greatest upset in college football happened and it was really interesting and then you know like anything in college make a couple friends commit to a story or two and then all of a sudden you're coming back each week to meetings and you know easing into it um and and so it kind of just went from there and I covered the really small sports that year gymnastics um club sports field hockey and um, it, you know, it wasn't until that the following summer I interned at the Trentonian in, in New Jersey and covered a lot of Little League. I covered Yankees minor league team, the Trenton Thunder. Mm-hmm. I, I just did a lot of different things where it was, you know, every day. And it was sort of like, you know, these are what nights and weekends look like in the sports world. And it didn't feel like work. And, it, it you know, I, I felt myself getting better. And it was interesting. And it was fun. It was challenging. And that was when I was kind of hooked. And that's when I was like, all right, well, you know, everyone's telling me that journalism is dying. But, you know, I think that I'm going to give it a shot as long as I can. I think people still like to read what people have to say about Mm -hmm. sports. So that was kind of the where it kind of clicked. It's always so fascinating to me to hear how people you know, made their journey in in the sports landscape and and really in in any career field, but especially in the sports media industry because it's constantly changing. Uh, But, you know, I find it funny that your first college football game wasn't until you were a student. Uh, That must have been a little bit overwhelming because at the time you're thinking, I'm going to be covering this team as well. Well, you know, at that point I was so, it was such a, yeah, I'm kind of interested in, writing about sports you know right. it, it wasn't I wasn't making that connection yet right okay. um and so I was going more as hey this is part of why I wanted to come to this school like to experience these types of things which I've not ever been to 110,000 people all watching a game together 
And so it was more just sort of like this this whole new experience and what, how do you figure out what tailgates you go to? And I, right. I remember being like with orientation friends who I literally like never saw again after that first month of college and just like trying to figure out like what do you do on a football Saturday and where do you go? What time do you go to the stadium? Um, and I so remember feeling whole... those same things. I went to University of Florida and I remember feeling the same way it's like sensory overload you know trying to yeah, figure out where is. you need to be and what you need to be doing <laughs> this huge yeah, event yeah. yeah and then like you know you see like by your sophomore year and junior everyone's got like you know their, their systems down pat right their own like off, off campus houses they can host things you know it's just it's so different and um and so you know I was just kind of going through all of that and just like you know, they're supposed to win and this is supposed to be a great year. Michigan's number five in the country. And it's just, I, I, you know, it wasn't even a thought that like the game itself was going to matter that day. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it was just that day was entirely all about the experience. And then it just became this like funny little like anecdote to my sports story that it like was the greatest upset in college football. And I, but I grew up 20 minutes from Rutgers and even when Rutgers got good, like people didn't go to games. It was still such a pro sports area that, yeah, I really didn't pay attention to Mm -hmm. go to games until I was, I was there. And then eventually when I was covering college sports, it just sort of happened. Um, and, and it's, it's funny. And, and I don't know if you feel this way, but like, I now don't follow the NFL as closely because, a, it's my job to watch college football like from noon until 2 a.m. on Saturdays. But also, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like I don't know that many people that do college and NFL. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you're in one of those worlds, you got, you're got you like, okay, the other right. day of the weekend, I need to like not watch football. And the culture is so different. You know, the I think the whole yeah. experience from a fan and as a reporter, it's entirely different. Um, and, and so I, I definitely understand what you're saying there. It's, it's funny to think of now, oh, my gosh, how many football games you've attended and you've covered – and mm-hmm. looking at your career, I mean, you've risen really quickly in this profession. You're in a prominent role. You're a senior writer at a young age. Um, and this may be an odd question for you, but do you feel you've had any pushback because of how young you are? Or do you feel any resentment uh, from other people in the profession as a result of that? You know, it was interesting because I interned at the Boston Globe right after I graduated um, college and that was the summer of 2011 and then from there I went to USA Today where I had interned previously and my first year the job was a digital producer um, a blogger this was before for the win existed and I was doing like the bubble tracking bracketology type stuff and you know it was it was very low on the totem pole it was posting everyone else's stories it wasn't reporting mm-hmm. um, and after that year, we ended up having a restructuring and people could interview for whatever job they wanted. And that's when I was able to land a reporting position. Um, but at that point, I'm still, what am I, 23? And I'm labeled a national college basketball reporter. Um, and then, like, over the next couple of years, I added more college football into the mix. And then also, like, um, at this point, like, they, they added me to the Olympics team. So I went to London um, and covered swimming. And then I covered swimming in Rio. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was it was young. And I think that there were definitely not, you know, I, I don't think it was internally. It was more, like, externally. I think right. that, like, those are types of, like, dream jobs for people. Um, and I used to get emails from 
students and they would they did I don't think they meant them the way they came across but the emails would basically be like oh so like you're 23 you're 24 and you're at USA Today um clearly you found some sort of like loophole or shortcut like what is it how did you how did you get there so fast and like you know it's it's, it is insulting because it's like you know you know I worked really really hard at all of the you know to land the internships I had and then do well at them and then keep maintain relationships so that when they had a job they called me and it was like a bottom level job and you then you you know chips fall and you work your way up mm-hmm. and, and it's just you know all it was it was it was frustrating because I do think like especially for you know people who don't pay attention and why would some of these people who don't know me um you know it, it, to all it, those it, steps it was, that you had you you worked your way yeah. up yeah, and it was like it was like oh, like just handed to you, and it's not, and it never is. And I think that like you know the people I know have gotten, you know, really good jobs quickly. What people would say quickly in the profession, they work really hard. Like I think you have to have talent, you have to be a good reporter, and make all of those calls and work those long hours. But you also have to just work really hard. Mm-hmm. And and the people I know who got jobs in the last. 10 years and people are saying, you know, when everyone's cutting back and media industry is changing so much are the people who worked really, really hard to make themselves like indispensable to places mm-hmm. so that they had to keep them. And, and so, you know, I would always kind of like, you know, answer people back about, you know, like, Oh, you know, ex- explaining all that, you know, that, that, that there was a lot of hard work and a lot of prep that went into all of this. And then, you know, also just my favorite quote, which is, you know, oh, the, it seems the harder I work, the luckier I seem to get. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that's that's what luck is. Yes, there are, you know, certainly you do need certain things to fall at certain times, but like you need to be in position that you get them when they do. And so, you know, that was definitely something early. You know, I think also when you're like 23, 24 and you're interacting with a lot of like coaches and people a lot older than you I think that's tough I mean just Mm -hmm. trying to not be taken seriously because I think you know you're 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 like hey I'm from USA Today like you're getting that level of respect but just you know that that you understand the history of the sport Mm -hmm. the context of things like you are young and so and, and you're going in and trying to build a relationship with someone that maybe another reporter has had for 20 years. So that was overwhelming. And that was something that I like really, really tried and thought about and tried to do quickly in college basketball. And there's, you know, 350 plus head coaches and then assistants. And, you know, that, that was overwhelming at first, but, you know, you just kind of got to do that and then, you know, do as much work and prep and everything as possible so that, you know, they know that you're taking this job seriously and it's important to you. Um, and it might be a new relationship, but it can be a valuable one. And so, you know, there was just a lot of that. I mean, I think that like being young and, and covering people a lot older than you, that is just something right. that everyone goes through and it's tough. And, um, you know, in my position, I was just, I was covering a lot of different programs and coaches. So it was just kind of like maybe a little bit exacerbated by that. And relationship building is such a huge aspect of the job. I I think people from the outside don't realize that interviews aren't handed to you. Sources aren't handed to you. You don't have a set time, you know, for one-on-one interviews on a weekly, daily basis with these coaches and players. Um, So, you know, from your, your mindset, how do you approach that relationship building experience as someone who's younger and let's face it, as someone who's a woman, because, you know, that that could provide also another obstacle in some situations. 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, and I do think that people don't quite realize that. Or maybe they, again, and this is, you know, people outside of the industry think that everything is maybe in a press conference or something. Right. That's what they see on TV. What's more frustrating is, and this is just a complete aside, but like there are a couple people I've seen within the industry um, talk about how like basically everyone, direct quote, like almost everybody gets their interviews through publicists. And I'm like, that is not the case at all. Like you build relationships mm-hmm. so that you don't have to do it through publicists. You don't have to do it tied to a book tour or anything. But anyway, that's an aside. There, there, <laughs> there are people who, who get access through brands and, and publicists and stuff. And like, that's a completely different world. You, I, I personally try to avoid doing that as much mm-hmm. as possible, yes, but you know, sometimes with like the Olympics, you kind of have to, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think I've always tried to approach any relationship building and, and that was, you know, you know, when you're networking with editors and writers, um, and then eventually sources, once you have a beat, I just always try to be genuinely interested. Like I, I can tell when someone, when I meet someone, if all they're interested in is getting something out of me mm-hmm. and I never want people to feel that way about me. So yes, I may bug them when there's a coaching change or something is going on, but I'm hoping that prior to that, we have built enough of a solid relationship where they understand that I am genuinely interested in what they think about things, how things are going, um, you know, even their thoughts on teams in their league, you know, just all sorts of things, mm-hmm. you know, how their family is doing, how they, they just moved from North Carolina to Lubbock. What's Lubbock like? <laughs> like, 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 that I actually care about them as a person and not just as a potential, uh, they've confirmed that their head coach got fired mm-hmm. person. Right. And I think that, um, you know, that takes time and it doesn't always, you know, result in like a newsworthy um, confirmation or tip, you know, right away. But, but I think that people value that. And I think one way I was able to see it, that was really that, that relationship part was really paying off. Um, was, you know, I'd go, I live in New York and I would go to a lot of basketball games, not to necessarily write about them, but just to say hi to the coaches afterwards. And, um, they always appreciate that you show up and that you're there and you go out of your way and, you know, I'd get introduced to Billy Donovan and introduce him to his wife. And, and we'd talk about, I'd done a story and talk to one of his sons and, you know, all of these different things. And then you realize like the next time you go to Gainesville to sit down with Billy Donovan he's way more comfortable with you and mm-hmm. he's going to give you way better answers and be more candid and open. And so that was something that I noticed before it came where you're able to like kind of confirm a lot of news real quick. It was just that the relationships were on good footing because the next time I saw them and needed them for an actual on the record interview, they were way more forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that is something that also people don't talk about when you when you do talk about sources is that, you know, you can get much better stories, much better anecdotes and quotes when people trust you and are very comfortable about you. And it's a conversation and not, you know, Q and a, and I think that, um, that's where I first started to notice it. Um, but yeah, so, so just, I know I'm rambling, but to your no, gender, specific question. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've, I always think about, have always thought about. Um, and I've always tried to explain this to my male coworkers too, because they don't have to think about the things that I do. I've always tell them I'm, every day I'm thinking about what I'm wearing. I'm thinking about how I'm asking people for their phone numbers. This is mm-hmm. how I often do it. They, they're like, wait, I never think about that. I'm like, right. Cause you're a guy asking another guy for his cell phone number. Like it doesn't, there, there's not a, any, you know, implied that, that could be misconstrued. Right. 
And so I would always, you know, I'd be talking to someone and I literally did this yesterday. It's like, hey, is it possible to get your phone number to stay in touch? And maybe if I have any follow up questions about this article, I always couch it in all of that. Mm -hmm. And then then I'm like, okay, um, what time am I texting or calling my sources? Uh, What tone am I using in the text message? You know, like I Mm -hmm. and I list all of these things off in addition to thinking about what I'm wearing and, you know, how I'm interacting with people in person and and X, Y and Z. And I tell these to my male colleagues who have the same job I do. And they go, oh, my God, I don't think about (laughs) any of those things. And I'm like, yeah. At a daily basis, we have the same job, but it's much more exhausting and requires more from me. And they're like, oh, you're totally true. You're totally right. I, I can totally relate to all of those things that you, you just said. And it's funny because I, I remember the first time I was in an NFL locker room and, you know, I had a few coworkers that that first season of coverage made fun of me because they're like, you always, you're one of the happiest people I know, but you're always like so serious and almost grimacing when you're in the locker room. And I was like, well, I don't want to be, you know, I, I was very aware to look professional and to look serious because it's like, I don't want to be smiling at people and, and people yep. thinking <laughs> I'm you know, smiling at them in a way. It, it's funny that you have to think about these things, um, but you find your comfort level. And, and I think that we see your relationship building, you know, the skills that you have to connect with people within your writing. I mean, you're an incredible storyteller uh, and, you. and you have such valuable insight. So it that comes across that you're having conversations with people. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, it's an amazing industry, but it can be tough. Uh, we've talked that you're you're younger than a lot of your colleagues. You're a female in a senior writer position. It's a role that for many generations has gone to men. So, um, you know, we touched upon this in, in, in your thought process, but do you feel that your gender has ever been a hindrance? Um, you know, whether that's been securing a job interview, do you feel like you have to do more to prove yourself in the position that you're given or even when you're applying for a position? Um. So, you know, I, I don't think so. I'm trying to think right now. Um, I don't I don't think so. I think that by the time, and I'm so grateful for all the women who came ahead of me who made these positions available, that 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 you can cover a team or or a sport and be a woman and be taken seriously and these jobs existed. Um, I, I'll also give a quick shout out, the Big Ten Network. I, I, for the last four years, I'm an on-air analyst. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a male host on that show, and they let me – I can say and share my opinions about college football. And there are very few opportunities throughout the country where women are actually able to give opinions about this sport, and in most sports. But that's mm-hmm. why that's why someone like Rachel Nichols is so important for the industry. But it's, it's this idea that women in a lot of TV instances – are the ones asking men for their opinions, for their thoughts on things. And so when I wanted to kind of diversify a little bit and do some TV, I wanted to be an analyst. I wanted to be asked for me to answer things because I know a lot of things and I talk to a lot of people and I prepare. And so that's one, one thing that's been really cool with the Big Ten Network um, that, that they allowed me to do that. It's never been an issue and it's really cool. And I think it's really um valuable and you know just to have a different voice different perspective there um but yeah no I don't I don't I'm trying to think I really don't think it's impacted you know my day-to-day job or anything I've not like gotten turned down for an interview by someone like not taking me seriously enough Mm -hmm. I think early in my profession 
Um, when I, my first very first internship, I did the minor league team that I was covering did try to not let me in the locker room and it was 2008 and I was like really and they were trying to justify that that I was an intern and that's why I wasn't getting let in um and I was like no I like have a deadline just like that guy does and Mm -hmm. it's in 15 minutes and you're letting him in the locker room and then I would have to wait around they'd bring out players and it would take forever and so my editor got involved and you know like a day later it's like oh Nicole's gonna be in the locker room everyone just so you know right. and uh so that was great because someone you know went to bat for me mm-hmm. and um and I had a, a very similar experience on another internship where there was a head coach uh who inter- ended an interview and he was just like this is about baseball which is you know I've played softball my entire life watched baseball since I was like five and he ends the interview by asking if I understood everything he said (laughs) and I said yep and then I left and I went to my office and I was venting about it and my editor said well you know what there are 10 teams that we cover in this in this league and you get to pick what games you go to you don't have to cover this day and so I didn't and so we didn't quote him in the story and then I just picked other games to cover (laughs) you know like I had that support behind me and so um yeah that's great to to have to have that support internally from from your boss from from your colleagues that's everything yeah and and so you know when there have been little instances of things um or of sources trying to cross the line or whatever I've always had I've really had great editors and coworkers. I have a group chat with um three of my uh, female colleagues from USA Today that we still, they they, they let me stay in it even though I changed jobs. And, you know, it's just to vent and it's just to support each other on, you know, slight issues and stuff. I mean, nothing is like debilitating, but it's like frustrating. And and it's really helpful to just vent or to tell an editor that you trust and get that support behind you. And so I think that that's been really great because I guess I have had instances now that I was thinking about it, but it didn't feel like, none of them stopped me from doing my job because of the response Mm -hmm. from people around me. And that was really valuable. And I think that that's, that's probably why it didn't come to mind originally Mm because it's like, this didn't stop me from doing my job. It was annoying. And now it's a story and an anecdote, but, but everyone around me, including myself, I'm proud of the way I handled these situations, you know, made it so that I could keep going and feel like I a hundred percent belonged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unnecessary frustrations, but you handled them well. And and I think that's, you know, when I speak with most women in the profession, that's what they say. It's, um, you know, some of them have some some more dramatic stories, but it's things that you don't you shouldn't have to deal with, you know, small hurdles <laughs> that just make your, your day-to-day tasks a little bit more difficult that uh, your male counterparts aren't dealing with. Uh, you mentioned, though, being a college football analyst on the Big Ten Network. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, because you're right, we're not seeing a lot of women who are asked for their opinions. Uh, they're the host, they're the ones driving the conversation. Um, but being one of them on national TV, do you feel extra pressure because as one of the few female voices, you're not only representing yourself, but you're representing other female sports writers and broadcasters as well. Did you look at it that way at all? You know, I didn't, um, although I have, like, heard from people who think that it's awesome that the Big Ten Network does that, uh, that it's refreshing to hear actual, you know, again, opinion and analysis um, and not just, you know, straight reporting or a host 
um, asking questions. And I think that, um, I think that that's been, I think that's really good. And it's, you know, I enjoy doing it because, uh, you know, especially when I began, I was just kind of a national reporter and I wasn't really doing much opinion to begin with. So it was really good practice for me and good experience to feel comfortable with those types of, um, with, with those types of comments and just, you know, figuring out a way to articulate them and, and make the point clear. Um, you know, I mean, what's frustrating with it, and this is just, this happens all the time with just writing too, is that I don't like when I make an argument and, you know, some, someone on a Facebook message or a Twitter message, you know, is like, disagrees with the, with what I'm saying, but, but then just tells me that it's because I'm a woman. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and, or if they agree, I got this one message. It was like total backhand compliment. I was like, I don't understand what you were trying to get across here, but it was like, Oh, like, I think you're really sexy. Um, and I really like, liked your points. Oh gosh. Uh, who told you to say that? Like who told you how to like make that point correctly or, or to use that factor? Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So you like, where, where did you think this was going? That I was going to be so like, blown away by you complimenting me and insinuating that a man had to give me my point that I made in that conversation. I hate when I get that question like oh so you know who writes your questions for you or who writes your points and you just look at them and you you shake your head. (laughs) Yeah and and so um so that was really funny but no I think um you know in general I just you know I try to do the best that I can and prepare for myself and I want to be as informed as possible and you know, and, and give my opinions. But I also am really glad that I've heard from other people who are just glad to see more um, women in roles that, you know, are not heavily populated by women. And, that, and that's why I, know I mentioned Rachel Nichols, but when she got, like, when she went to CNN and was able to give her opinion, and then now back at at uh, ESPN having her own show and she can make it how she wants. She can share whatever opinions she wants on whatever topics. That's what we need because you need to have roles like that. And these are created for her because she's phenomenal, but you need to have roles like that so that when you're coming up in the industry, you see that there are different types of jobs and there are ones where women can give their opinions and that it's not just sideline jobs or host jobs. If you want to work in TV on sports. And so, you know, I think that that's been like just really important. I guess that's from a representation standpoint, just to have, even if it's one, you know, have that type of a job out there. I definitely agree with you about the the role. And I think that we're seeing a, a lot of changes in, in the media industry. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to switch gears now to something that's a, a heavier subject, uh, but an important discussion to have, uh, especially uh, right now, um, you know, sexual assault has been making its way into a lot of our discussions, and rightfully so. We're all familiar with the Me Too campaign that stemmed from that. And I saw that you were quick to tweet in response. Um, you know, you you put it out there, Me Too. And I think it's so important to have these discussions with our friends, our loved ones, our colleagues. But it requires tough conversations and putting yourself and sometimes your experiences out there that are hard to share. Um, You know, without getting into uh, too much detail, I just, you know, in general wanted to know why it was important for you to join that conversation on social media and and, and to join that campaign. 
Yeah, you know, it was really interesting because in light of the Harvey Weinstein stuff, you know, that started out as allegations of sexual harassment. And then it quickly, then there were, then it escalated, obviously, um, with the New Yorker article, and you had allegations of sexual assault. And so I think what's been really interesting in the fallout of that, and we've seen this touch on pretty much every industry, um, and a lot of powerful men who, you know, kind of, thought they could get away with this type of behavior is you're seeing both and you're seeing one or you're seeing the other. Um, and, and the Me Too campaign I thought was really interesting because it included both. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're saying something super terrible and violent happened to me, but something that was unacceptable and made me uncomfortable. To, and it, it, mm-hmm. it included the range. And I think that that's important because the fact that so many women were able to say me too and show how pervasive these issues are, I think that was the most empowering part of all of it. Um, and I think you needed to have both because like when, and when you're in journalism, you're going to be put in situations. I mean, I, I won't have to go into detail, but you know, I, I was in a major league baseball locker room and every day one of the players would hit on me and try to ask me out in front of everyone, in front of all the other writers. And they thought the other writers thought it was funny. And that is not okay. It's a workplace for me and it's making me uncomfortable. And there's only so many times you can, you know, brush it off and laugh. And then what about when you have a coach, if a coach propositions you, um, when you're trying to, you know, just be, you know, one of the guys get a drink, catch up and, you know, then they make it inappropriate. And, you know, so, so everyone has those types of experiences. And I think they're important to talk about. And I talk about them with my, um, you know, female sports writing friends, because in in many situations you're kind of like, all right, just keep an eye out about that guy or, you know, I was uncomfortable by this. Oh, you went through something similar. Like, how did you handle it? Mm-hmm. How did you make, did you maintain a professional relationship with that person afterwards? And there's just so many things that I think are very important to talk about, but until now have been very much kind of behind the scenes. And cause, cause you don't want to be difficult. You don't necessarily want to call these people out publicly every time something happens. And I think that it's been the Me Too thing, I think, and, and just in general, a lot of the stories I've been reading or people coming forward about um, sexual harassment and sexual assault stories, you know, I think it's it's been good because it's given people and read men who maybe weren't directly affected, like, you know, a loved one hadn't told them a story of something like this, you know, understanding that this is a huge problem, mm-hmm. it happens all over all the time in all industries. Um, and in just day to day life, you know, I mean, and it's day to day life and on the subway and, you know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's everywhere. And it was, it was the me too thing makes you just feel like your experience. It wasn't your fault. It was nothing you did. And there are a lot of other people who go through their everyday life going through these types of experiences too. And you're not alone. And that I think was the whole point. And so I thought it was, I thought it was really powerful um, I think that all these, you know, the women who are coming forward in and men coming forward with stories in all different types of industries are really brave. And I'm glad that this stuff is getting taken seriously. I mean, I'm even thinking a few years back when, uh, you know, there was some college uh, football sexual assault yeah. scandal or whatever. And people would just, you know, like blow them off or, or the initial reaction, especially in sports media, would be like, well, is he eligible or not? What's going on? You know, and, yeah. and now the conversation have at least changed. And I think that that's also really promising. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'm sure, you know, on the note of, you know, you were saying you had discussions with some female sports writers who are currently in the profession uh, about this subject. And I'm sure that there are a lot of young women who approach you who want to join the profession, um, you know, who reach out to for advice, you know, on, on a variety of matters, um, you know, looking at the full scope of of your career, not not just, you know, times when you're you're put in uncomfortable situations, but in general, what do you feel is important for them to know about sports journalism and 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 what advice do you give to them when they reach out looking for some direction? Yeah, well, it depends because you know, I think a lot of times people know if they want to go into broadcast or if they want to write and then um, or they're not sure because, you know, I do think it's important to point out that there are all of these evolving roles and that they're like, I, you know, not that, and for a long time, I didn't think I'd ever, you know, do like opinion or want to be a columnist or something, but it's important that those jobs exist for women. Um, and that no one's getting pigeonholed, um, and told that they can't do a certain type of job. So, you know, I think that's always something I point out is just that, the flip side of the changing of like, you know, jobs, you know, losing jobs at newspapers and, and the industry going through changes is that there's a lot of new roles that didn't quite exist. Like I have a few friends who do, um, podcasts slash also like, um, daily shows for, for MLB digital and like they can kind of opine on whatever they want. I mean, obviously baseball is the, <laughs> the main topic, but right. you know, it's, it's, um, it frees them up and, and they're doing this and you know, they're not getting fanfare for it, but it's, it's for women and it's really cool. And it's, you know, there are these hybrid jobs, jobs that didn't exist, um, before. And so I always point that out that, you know, be creative. And, and also what I always tell everyone is just, you know, be on every form of technology that exists Yeah. because you don't want anything to pass you by. I mean, I saw that happen at USA Today when we had layoffs um, one time and it was just, it was, it was people who didn't quite understand the immediacy of the internet, the power of social media, didn't prioritize those things, didn't want to learn about them. Um, and I see people who are hesitant to, you know, want to learn how to do video or to mm -hmm. get on some of these other platforms, you know, when Periscope was a thing or whatever. And it's important to at least be able to do them um, mm -hmm. and be willing to do them because you never know what's going to take off or not. And I think it's just so important these days that you're not just good at one thing and you need to be able to do everything. So I've always said yes to every platform opportunity that has happened that has come to me. I mean, I came in as a writer and I still consider myself a writer, but that TV opportunities I do, I have done radio co-hosting. I've done podcasts. You've done it all. And, it, it, and it's, you, you have, you have to have your hand in it all, you know? It's, yeah. And, that, and that's, that's the message I send. You have to be on multi-platforms. I mean, it, like, you have to know and have some comfort level and all of that because that's just where it is these days. I mean, I just am terrified of, you know, getting passed by on something technology wise or getting pigeonholed and as just one thing. And I think the guard against that is to just try everything and do everything and say yes. And when you're on an internship and you work so hard to get it, you say yes to every possible assignment and, and just try. I mean that, so those, those are the messages I always send. I just think, 
you know, there are lots of jobs out there and they're changing and they're going to be different in three years from now. And, you know, you just got to be ready to adapt and, and have the skill sets for these different types of jobs. And that goes back to a point that you made earlier, making yourself indispensable. And that's a big yeah. part of it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and whenever an aspiring reporter reaches out to me for advice, I always think, what had I wished that I'd known earlier? You know, so for yourself, is there anything that you look back and wish you'd realized sooner in your professional career? Well, I wish I had realized that, um, I don't know, you know, I, I just, I got such, uh, so much anxiety about, like what I was mentioning earlier about kind of getting thrown on college hoops and having 351 programs to cover mm. and, uh, trying to catch up to some of my peers who have been doing it a lot longer. I wish instead of, you know, being overwhelmed at the numbers and things like that, I wish I just sort of, you know, honestly was able to live a little bit more like a sports cliche of like one day at a time um, yeah. and just, you know, do a little bit each day and work on that. But, but I, I think I, I, I allowed myself to worry a lot about, you know, would I get there? Would I get to the point where I could have, relationships that were comparable and mattered and and would help instead of just you know I was doing them and I was working at them but I would also let myself just like think that it was never going to work out (laughs) and I wish that I just like didn't have that period or like the kinds of you know when you open Twitter and the kind of anxiety and stress of like whatever what other people are doing and then like are am I doing enough Mm -hmm. and and just sort of all of those you know just being really hard on yourself um and there's only a certain amount of hours in the day and you know feeling guilty if you take your allotted vacation time and all of that (laughs) I, I just wish I hadn't um, allowed myself to work myself into like a stress ball over mm-hmm. all of those issues. Like, you know, if I just did my job and worked at the goals of, of building relationships and, and breaking news and different things like that, it was going to happen. It was going to get there. I didn't need to worry about that as I was doing it. And, and, and also I do wish I had used up my full vacation days, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, when you're 23 and you have a big job and you're, you're feeling guilty. It's like, right. a total, I was reading an article about how millennials don't take their vacation time. Oh my gosh, it's so true. Totally. So true. <laughs> and especially cause you know, everyone's reachable all the time, but so, you know, those are, those would be it. It would just be like, not, don't be so hard on yourself for obviously being in a different position. Someone's always going to have had a similar job longer, more relationships, longer relationships, a better source. Um, don't beat yourself up over that and also use your vacation days. Right. You, you, you earned them. You deserved them. Um, and do that and not feel guilty. I agree with you, though. Like, the FOMO is real. You know, the fear of missing mm-hmm. out whenever you're, you're thinking, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be gone for two weeks or a week or even a day. How, how is this going to affect, you know, all of these other things? But that's really great advice. And thank you so much for all of the insight that you provided today. It was so much fun talking to you. And we we love keeping up with your work uh, here at Heavy. It's um, it's incredible to see your success. And and every every chance I, I get to, to read your work, I, I always take it. Um, so we really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me. Great, great talk about uh, all these things, especially now I really like I'm going to need to start looking at booking my next vacation. Like I yes. think that's my main <laughs> takeaway from this conversation, which is a great takeaway. So that means it's a good conversation. We'll do a follow up. <laughs> the next time you're on, we're going to talk about your vacation. I want to hear all yeah. about it. <laughs> Perfect. Deal. All right. Thank you so much, Nicole. And best of luck with your travels this week. 
Huge thanks to Nicole for coming on. And next week, we have another phenomenal guest. Laura Rutledge will be joining us. You see her every Thursday night on the sidelines for ESPN's primetime college football broadcast. And also every Saturday morning as the host of SEC Nation on SEC Network. She appears on a variety of other broadcasts for ESPN throughout the year, including the Paul Feinbaum Show and many others. Laura has... You know, such relevant experience in a variety of sports from football to women's gymnastics. And she's someone who has had such an interesting career path and a lot of experiences that are relevant to all women in sports. Um, Not to mention, she's also one of the funniest people I know. So you don't want to miss this upcoming episode. We'll be back next Wednesday with Laura. But in the meantime, subscribe to us on iTunes and let us know what you think by leaving us a review. Also, I'm all about continuing this conversation on social media, so give us a follow on Twitter. We're also on Instagram and on Facebook, so we love to connect with you there. I really enjoyed the early feedback from you guys, so keep it coming. Have a great week, and thanks for listening to Ball Like a Girl.